0: So as we continue as a nation to be mourning the Queen at this time, we've got the funeral um, tomorrow, I thought it would be appropriate for me to start with some words. Um, This is from her 2004 Christmas Day broadcast. She said this, for me, the life of Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, whose birth we celebrate today, is an inspiration and an anchor in my life. A role model of reconciliation and forgiveness, he stretched out his hands in love, acceptance and healing. Christ's example has taught me to seek to respect and value all people of whatever faith or none. These words spoken by the Queen were inspired by this very parable of the Good Samaritan. Words that point us to Jesus Christ as an inspiration and an anchor in our lives which I put to you all of us need right now. Speaking to some of you last week, you've been mentioning the start of the academic year, there's already just so much coming at you. It's like wave upon wave crashing over you, and some of you are finding it really hard to keep your head above water. Some of you this week I spoke to get increasingly nervous about the war in Ukraine that is carrying on, the Ukrainian army pushing back into Russian territory, or sorry, back into territory that they had before. And now, like the news, if you're reading some of the news articles, they're saying, well, what's Putin going to do in response to this, and will he ever think about you know, the nuclear button? And so life seems a little bit even more fragile right now, a little bit more insecure. Obviously, we're all mourning the Queen right now. Chatting to some of you, just this past week, you said not only is this bringing up grief for the Queen, it's bringing up grief for you, for other people in your life, loved ones that you've lost. And it's just very emotionally destabilizing. It's very hard to sort of focus and concentrate. And like, when all these things are coming at us at the same time, then where is peace, where is hope to be found amidst it all? Last week, we saw the call to follow Jesus Christ, to put him first above anyone, anything else, and to do that is to experience a joy, not just in the future when we see him face to face, but a joy in the present now amidst all this instability and uncertainty, and it begs the question, okay, well, what does following Jesus look like? We hear the call to follow him. What's that look like day to day? How do you do it? How do you get this joy with him? What does genuine Christian discipleship look like? That's what this passage is about. If you're someone here looking into Christian things, this will give you very clear expectations of what a life with Jesus Christ, a relationship with Him, looks like. Three things for us to see. First, following Jesus Christ means living a life of love. Following Jesus means a life of love. Verse 26... On page 1041, if you want to follow um, along, Um, Jesus says in verse 26, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And then this expert in God's law answers these very famous words Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. The two commandments that summarize the entire Old Testament law. Love of God, love of neighbor, followers of Jesus are called to a life of love. And just to be clear, what do we mean by the word love? Many uses of the word love in the Greek language in the New Testament. We're not talking here romantic love, that's eros. We're not talking here friendship love, that's philia. What we are talking about here is agape love which the parable of the Good Samaritan shows us very clearly what this is. This is a love which is, verse 33, moved by compassion. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Literally, he was moved in the depths of his guts towards this guy. Love which moves out to others with compassion. Agape love, which is demonstrated through costly action, verse 34. He went to him, He bandaged his wounds. He poured oil and wine upon him. He put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. A love which looks out at others and and wants their good, their genuine good. And doesn't expect anything in return. Verse 35, the next day he took out two denarii. And gave him to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This is what we're called to as followers of Jesus Christ. This sort of love is costly, sacrificial, reaching out to others, moved with compassion, not expecting anything in return. Let me quote from the Queen again. It just seems so appropriate to keep quoting from her uh, at a time like this. I hope that like me, you'll be comforted by the example of Jesus of Nazareth, who often in circumstances of great adversity managed to live an outgoing, unselfish and sacrificial life. Jesus makes it clear that genuine human happiness and satisfaction lie more in giving than receiving more in serving than being served and this is what Jesus calls us to right now even in times of great adversity for us and what many of us are experiencing at the moment this call to move out towards others in love for their good costly sacrificial love and in particular we are to move out in love towards anyone that God puts in our path. I think this is one of the key things actually to grasp from the parable of the Good Samaritan. Did you notice how Jesus doesn't actually answer the man's question in verse 29? So we're told in verse 29, and Luke gives us this little insight into that this man's expert of the law's heart. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? As if he's trying to limit, you know, the people he has to love. Is that my neighbor? Okay, fine. Is that not my neighbor? Fine. Love them, not love them. But you see how Jesus responds in the end in verse 33. He turns the question around. He says, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? The expert in the law replied, the man who had mercy on him, the Samaritan. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. In other words, the issue here is not who is my neighbor. So if we can limit the extent. of The The issue is be a neighbor to whoever God puts in your path, whoever God puts in your life. And so let me ask, who has God put in your life to love right now? If you're someone here who claims to be a follower of Jesus all aspects of your life. Home, work, here. Think the people God has put in your life. And he wants you to love them like this. There's a major application for us here as a church family. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, we are told to speak truthfully to our neighbor. You might think, who's our neighbor? The very next phrase, for we are members together of one body. We are neighbors together in the body of Christ. Let us love one another like this. Let's not just hang out and chat to the people we know or naturally get on well with. Or that guy, you know, pass by the others. We see a need in the church family. We're tempted to just look the other way, walk past, someone else will help them out. We're called to love one another like this. Can you imagine all of us? This costly, sacrificial love for the good of others. You guys are a wonderfully loving church family. Can you imagine this more and more and more and the difference it would make? Of course, there's an application also to anyone God, put, God puts in our lives. When, wherever we are, out and about, do we tend to walk you know, past the homeless guy, person on the street, Are we moved with compassion? Do we move out to them? and we say, hi, what's your name? Can I buy you some food? Do you know where the local homeless shelter is? Do you tend to be fundamentally concerned with your own things all the time rather than thinking about others? As people look at your life, would they say, hey, that's the sort of person that takes and takes and takes, but how much do they they give? Happy to be served. How much do they serve others? This call to love, it's key to Christian discipleship. We are to be people of love, which of course does not come naturally to any of us. Sin curves us in on ourselves. Sin makes us selfish, self-focused. Sin makes us love ourselves naturally. Only by experiencing this agape love ourselves will we be able to love one another like this. And that is why it's so important as we look at this parable and we hear this command to love, we remember how this gospel is going to end. As Jesus Christ is hanging on a cross, dying for you and me and all our sin. Not just a good Samaritan, a perfect Samaritan who doesn't pass by and ignore humanity bruised and battered by sin, but is moved in compassion to be born into this world, to live the life we fail to live, to die the death that we, not to pay two denarii, to pay his own life. So you and I can be healed, we can be forgiven, we can be restored to spiritual health. Do you know this love of Jesus Christ in your life, this agape love? Are you experiencing it now? That is how we can be these people of love and love others in the same way. Following Jesus means a life of love just as Christ has loved us. Secondly, following Jesus means listening to his word. Now, as we come to this little section about Mary and Martha in verses 38 to 42, Martha's like really busy doing all the housework, um, Mary's just leaving her to it, not helping out, sitting at Jesus' feet listening to him. It is vital that we don't misinterpret what's going on in these verses. Remember a boating holiday that some friends went on. This is 20 years ago. Okay, you don't know them, you won't be able to identify them. I wasn't on it, I just heard about it afterwards. They're on this um, boating holiday, and it's one of those holidays where you're going through locks, you know, every, I don't know, every few hours. And um, and in the locks, right, each of you need to make sure you've got your rope on the pilings, feeding it through as the water's going up and down. There are four of them on this boating holiday, and whenever they came to one of the locks, they noticed that only three of them were coming out to help. It's right? it's pretty hard work, and they need to do it. And so after a while, they're just getting really frustrated. Where's the fourth guy? Like, I can't say the name. So where's, where's the fourth guy? And so they decide to go down, like, into the boat, and they find him in, the, in his cabin, and he's, he's just reading the Bible to himself all the time. And, and they go, what are you doing? Like, can you come up to the lock and help out And we're there? And he's like you three can be Martha's and I will be Mary listening to Jesus doing what's best that would be a wrong interpretation of this passage Okay, Jesus is not saying that practical needs matter, we've just had the parable of the good Samaritan, practical costly love what is Jesus' issue if you like with Martha in verse 41 he says Martha, Martha You are worried and upset about many things. Now, this is the issue. There is Martha, busy and frantically and worried about preparing all these things for Jesus Christ that she has forgotten the most important thing of all, which is to actually spend time with Jesus and listen to him and relate to him. and hear everything that he has for her. Now, to be fair to Martha, there were certain Jewish cultural barriers back then. Okay? Women in certain rooms in the house, men in certain rooms in the house. Different roles. Women doing the housework, the preparing. Men sitting at the rabbi's feet, learning from them. And so Martha might well be thinking, what on earth is Mary doing? She not. she forgotten her place? Does she not know her role? And women, I hope you take so much encouragement from this as Jesus just blasts straight through these cultural barriers and says, no, Mary is doing the right thing. God's love in Jesus Christ overflows to all, over all cultural, racial, egalitarian barriers. Men and women equal members in the kingdom of God. Come sit at my feet, learn from me too. Seventy years ago, Queen Elizabeth II was presented with a Bible at her coronation ceremony, told by the Archbishop of Canterbury, to keep your majesty ever mindful of the word of God, we present to you with this book the most valuable thing that this world affords. I mean, mean, we're too young for it, aren't we? But maybe it'll be the same with with King Charles when his coronation is next year. But they don't even know the value of the crown that is put on the queen's head at the coronation. Some experts have valued it at three to five billion pounds, let alone the rest of all the crown jewels, right? And all the estates that the queen had. Everything. And they're saying, no, this book that you hold in your hand is way more valuable than any of that. And the queen knew it. She nods her head and throughout her life, she knew that this book, the book that you guys have there in the pew right now, for centuries people in this country didn't have a Bible, we've got it. She knows this is the most valuable thing in the universe because it's the very living word of God and it contains all the wisdom we need for everything going on in our lives right now, even the words of eternal life. do we realize just how valuable the word of God is? Of course, Jesus Christ is not with us physically now, so we cannot sit at his feet and listen to what he says in the same way Mary is doing. But whenever we read our Bibles by faith, we hear the very living God, our creator, our savior, speaking to us personally, intimately, relevantly. Everything that's going on in your life right now, Jesus speaks into that. Jesus has a word for you, and it's waiting for you right here. Any of the questions on our mind right now, how do we find peace amidst all this uncertainty? How do we find strength to fight another day? How do we experience Christ's agape love for us that we might have the same love for others? It really is here. As we sit metaphorically at Jesus' feet and listen to what he says to us. The most valuable thing that this world affords. Can I ask what distracts you from spending time with Jesus, listening to his word? It could be, but what distract you could be that you are doing loads of good things for Jesus. Like Martha, you could be doing loads of practical things. You could be serving him in many, many ways. And yet you're missing the most important thing of all, which is him, listening to him, relating to him. At the heart of Christian discipleship is a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Part of that is listening to him speak to us. Perhaps you're so distracted with life and everything you've got on, it just slips down the priority list. Perhaps you've lost sight of just how precious and valuable the Bible is. Can you see the priority and value Jesus puts on it here, listening to him? You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one listening to me. We've got our sheet, A4 sheet at the back there. Um, if you're new to Bible reading, just recommends devotionals you can use, how to do it, and Bible apps. If you happen to be working from home any day, you're free at 9 a.m., just video call into one of the staff. People do it, and the church family, you can join in our daily devotionals as we read a psalm uh, a day. But here is one thing to have on the top of your priority list as you go into this week ahead, as you're going into this term with all the stresses that we've been talking about so far. This will help you more than anything. One thing is needed. Keep listening to Jesus. Keep listening to his word. He knows best for you. He has all the wisdom we need. Following Jesus means listening to him. Thirdly and finally, following Jesus means daily communion in prayer. So this is verse one of chapter 11. One day... Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, do you not find that encouraging? That even the disciples of Jesus find prayer hard. Even the disciples of Jesus need help, need to be taught how to pray. And Jesus delights to answer. Verses 2 to 4, what to pray. Verses 5 to 13, how to pray. Verses 2 to 4, what to pray, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. One of the most important things to learn about prayer, to experience in prayer, is a reorientation of our hearts to God and to his priorities. I don't know how you find it, but often when I've got a lot on, when I'm feeling distracted, when I'm worried about many things, when things are flying at me, you know, I'm tempted to go, Lord, I pray for this, I pray for that, in Jesus' name, amen. Or, not even that, and just like try and crack on with my day, check out my to-do list, try and get a handle on my inbox, what's the best next step in each of the projects that I've got, and you know what, sometimes at the end of the day, I've got through quite a lot of things, actually, but it's been done really frenetically, and there's not much inner peace. I'm a little bit stressed out. I haven't been present with people in the moment. But you know, the days when I wake up and I even just say, that, Father, I mean, just, just that, just remembering we have a Father in heaven who loves us, who knows best for us, who's in control of all things, including all the details and circumstances of my life, that can take a little bit of the weight off my shoulders. Just, just focusing afresh on him. And then you go, hallowed be your name. And you're thinking, oh yeah, it's not just about me and it's my reputation. It's about him, his name, his glory. This reorientation is happening. happening. Your kingdom come, not my little kingdom come. What might God be doing through all the busyness and circumstances of my life right now, that the kingdom of God would come, a kingdom of grace and peace and love. And hey, (laughs) maybe I need to be a little bit more patient through this. What is God showing me? What is God teaching? It just, you're reorientating, reorientating. Now, just to be clear, this reorientation of the heart doesn't mean my to-do list get any smaller. It doesn't mean the difficulties and practical tasks magically go away. But it does mean that I have a more kingdom-centered perspective on the day and that everything that is coming my way And there is more of that inner sense of calm, there is less freneticness, and I find myself to be more present with people in the moment, to love them and to move out to them, rather than just be concerned with my own things. And of course, we can still pray for our priorities and our concerns. Verse 3, give us today our daily bread, physical needs, forgive us our spiritual needs. Of course we can bring them to the Lord. The reorientation of our heart to God and his priorities must come first. So if that is what to pray for, verses 5 to 13 are about how we can pray with shameless audacity and eager expectation. This is the last thing we're going to see. Verse 8. And here Jesus is talking about suppose you have a friend, you wake him up at midnight, you ask him for some bread. Verse 8, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And this is the picture that Jesus uses about how we can come to God in prayer. You might think this is like a little bit disrespectful. I mean, this is God, this is the almighty, majestic, sovereign God of the universe and we can just shamelessly or audaciously yes you can um people tend to be very polite to me as in a, a church of england minister as we've been through this period of mourning I've been wearing my dog collar a lot these past 10 days and meeting people in the streets and tourists coming in and um yeah i've noticed that they're, they're very respectful um with me and they choose their words very carefully in front of me and, and some people some tourists are a little bit nervous in front of the vicar you know of the of the church Um, you're not Um, (laughs) Um, that's a good thing Um, now I was going to say but you have seen my children here I mean you saw them last week didn't you we baptised Jessica well for those of you who who know my children and and see them on Sunday with me you will know dog collar or not that they'll come running up to me with like shameless audacity daddy can I eat five biscuits daddy can you take my jam Um, activity that we've just done you know when are we going home? I'm bored. You know, and, and sometimes I'm in the middle of a conversation with someone and they just shamelessly, audaciously just come running up. Why do they do it? Because I'm their dad. And it's pretty obvious. And Jesus is saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God is your father. Your perfect heavenly father. Run to him shamelessly audaciously you absolutely can but what about my sin he forgives your sin what oh, I can bring anything to anything come to him now in your heart anything on your mind just pour it out all to him come also to him in eager expectation verse 9 Ask and it will be given to you, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened to you. Verse 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Ask, seek, knock. It will be given to you. All the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, etc., etc. Lord, give me peace now amidst all this financial uncertainty, geopolitical uncertainty. Lord, please would you give me patience right now with this particular person, with this particular work project, trusting that your timing is best. Lord, please would you give me this heart of agape love. Please help me to see just how much you love me. Make this more real, more alive, more experiential for me. So it transforms me to be the person you want me to be. God loves to answer those sort of prayers. For those of you who are parents, if your children ask for something good, of course you give it to them. How much more are perfect Father, in heaven, daily communion with God in prayer, listening to him and his word, responding, talking to him in prayer. Two-way communication, day by day, on the road with Jesus Christ. What is at the heart of Christian discipleship? It's very simple. Love, word, prayer. Let me pray that we would be living those lives In the week ahead. Let me pray for us now. Father God, we thank you for your word, more valuable than anything that the world affords, and thank you for teaching us through the words of Jesus, what lies at the heart of Christian discipleship. This life of love modeled and experienced through the love of Jesus to us regular listening to Jesus in his word, daily communion with you in prayer. I pray, Father, that you would reassure us of your presence with us now, just how much we are loved by you, and you would deepen us in our daily walk with you, that all aspects of our Christian life would flow from this personal relationship with you. And we ask it not just for ourselves, but for the good of all those who you put in our paths in the week ahead, that they may come to know the love of you in Jesus Christ too. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.